from creator Frank Mueller comes the comic series The Devil You Know. One late night, Graydon Cross comes home to find his family slaughtered and Satan himself standing before him. Fueled with rage, he rushes towards Satan, but is struck down before he gets to have his revenge. Upon his death, God appears before Graydon and gives him a choice. Graydon Cross, I am God. Your family and yourself were murdered by Satan. You may choose heaven, hell, or revenge. I'll send you to hell with powers I've given you to kill Satan. But if you kill Satan, you must become him. Do we have a deal? Deal. His desire for revenge too strong to ignore, Graydon agrees to God's terms and descends to hell on a mission to assassinate the devil and avenge his family. Upon finding himself in hell, Graydon must battle his way through an army of demons, all the while discovering the limitations of his new powers. The Devil You Know, written by Frank Mueller, available on Comixology and AcesAndAidsPress.com. You're listening to the Candare Podcast, your sidekick in the quest for knowledge, power, and entertainment. So strap yourselves in and prepare for victory! Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Candare, a tribute to comics and pop culture. I am Jeremy Colley. And I'm Jack Doherty. And we have no Jeff today. He's asleep. He is asleep. We got a good show for you today. We're going to be talking about some uh, new casting that's been done for Supergirl and Age of Apocalypse. Uh, mm-hmm. Some insight on Better Call Saul, since we've all seen the trailer now. Then we're going to be joined by the legendary Jim Lawson, uh, artist and creator for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for many years. And he's going to be joining us a little bit later to talk about a walk through dinosaur land. Uh, his Kickstarter currently running. But before we do that, let's get to recaps. Recaps! All right, Jack. Who's been cast as Supergirl? I'm not sure if I'm going to pronounce her last name right, because I think it's one of those French names, kind of like Gal Gadot. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Melissa ben- Benoit, I think it is. That's as close as I, I, gotta be I could is. guess, yeah. Uh, she was a cute girl from what I could see. Yeah, totally off the, the five people that we had on the website that, that could have been. Yeah. <laughs> I, no, she's she's. I think she'll do just fine. I don't know her from anything, but uh, she's got a Kara Kal-El face, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she uh, she was also on Glee, so that's what Grant oh, Gustin that, from the her, Flash uh, claim to fame. That and Whiplash. I don't know. I'm not sure if that was a movie or a, another TV show. I don't know that one either. But that explains why I don't know her. Not a big uh, Glee watcher. Oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> but still, cute girl. Thinks she'll do it well. Mm-hmm. Anxious to see that. All right. Anything else on that? Nope. That's all I've got. Okay, well, with that, uh, there's also been some more casting on for uh, X-Men Age of Apocalypse. They have cast a young Jean Grey. It's uh, Sophie Turner, who uh, is Sansa Stark from Game of Thrones. I haven't seen that show either. She's going to be playing Jean Grey in X-Men Age of Apocalypse. Uh, Ty Sheridan, who played the character Steve in Tree of Life. Have you heard of that? <laughs> no. Steve. <laughs> oh, yeah, good old Steve. <laughs> and Ellis in the Moving Mud with Matthew McConaughey. Uh, he's going to be playing Cyclops. And Alexandra Ship from Alvin and the Chipmunks fame. And Drumline, a new beat as Storm. Hmm. 
See, I don't, I don't know any of these people. I, yeah, don't I have no idea who these people are either. I know by looking at me, you might think I would enjoy Drumline, a new beat, but you'd be wrong. Drum, Drumline? Is that the... That's an old movie. I think there's a, more than one. It was like a straight-to-DVD kind okay. of uh, like a step-up movie with uh, hardcore drummers, I guess. So I, saw the, I, I saw the first Drumline movie. It was about a, the drum the drumline in the band was like the shit for really? like any football games, yeah. And there was and one like kid that was like, he was from the streets and he wanted to go his own way and he ended up becoming like the the drum major, not drum major, major I don't know. So an underdog story, the yeah. unlikely competitors that come and actually beat the, the drumline that's been dominating for all these years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'll pass on that one. Uh, yeah, Jennifer Lawrence, Michael uh, Fassbender, and James McAvoy are going to be returning as their characters. So I'm really excited to see a much younger... Old Patrick and Old Magneto aren't going to be there, huh? Not that I'm seeing anywhere. Yeah, that's no. why I kept seeing, oh, these two people aren't going to be back in the movie. And I figured right. that's how it had to be. And I guess they're, they're still up in the air if Wolverine's going to be showing up or not. I can say they could probably do it without... Him, right? Probably. But, Unless they'll do another fuck off singing with them just real quick. <laughs> like from our uh, first class. <laughs> yeah. Excuse me, I'm Eric Lynchra. Tales Xavier. Go fuck yourself. <clears throat> I hate it was so uncomfortable how long the camera held on him during that scene. <laughs> it's like, we get it. You got him in your movie. I don't know. Either way, it's going to be awesome, but uh, they've got to phase him out eventually, don't they? Yeah. I mean, wasn't yeah. that the talk originally that they, they didn't think he was going to be in this one? I think that, yeah, something like that. Because he's going to do another Wolverine movie, as far as I know. Mm-hmm. Either way, it'll be good. I like the X-Men movies with the exception of Origins. That, that was... Uh, yeah, I like yeah. them all, too. That wasn't good. But the other ones are good. We'll see what happens with that. That'll do it for recaps. Recap it! With that, let's just jump into the rumor mill. The rumors! Can't get away from the rumor mill. Yeah. All right, I have something here on, uh, well, we've all seen the Better Call Saul trailer now. It's out. I don't know. I was kind of not knowing what to expect from it, if it Mm -hmm. was going to carry the same tone as Breaking Bad or if it was just going to be more so a comedy than, you know, like a like a thriller like Breaking Bad was. But um, supposedly it's set six years before he meets Walter White and he's going by the name uh, Jimmy McGill. So he's already in hiding, it looks like, or something. (laughs) Hard-pressed to make ends meet, and with pressure from uh, family circumstances, Saul slash Jimmy makes a few bad decisions that spiral out of control. So it sounds already like Breaking Bad. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We have returning familiar face Jonathan Banks, who played the character Mike in Breaking Bad. He's going to be in this. So it looked like we're going to get to see him before he even entered the life of crime. It looks like he's yeah. like operating a booth like at a, at a parking garage or something. And uh, Michael McKean is joining the cast, and he, I, I don't know how to tell you who he is other than he's been in all the movies like with uh, Eugene Levy, uh, Catherine O'Hare, all the people that made like Best in Show or... Uh, uh, oh, he was uh, uh, Lenny and Squiggy from yes. Laverne and Shirley. Yes. Yeah, he was Lenny. There you go. Yes, yeah, he's going to be joining the cast reason this is in the rumor mill is because rumor has it that some of the reviewers have been saying that the last five seconds of the first episode there's going to be a special appearance that supposedly is going to make your jaw hit the floor. Walter. Uh, I doubt it'd be that big, you think? <laughs> but it was like, uh, I'm thinking Walter or Jesse would be that too big. Jesse maybe being having to be in court for some reason. Maybe. I mean, I'm thinking either maybe Jesse's friends, what were their names? Uh, 
Oh, I can't remember. Uh, now you're talking the the Mexican kid and the skinny Pete. Oh, skinny Pete and oh, the yeah, I don't remember their names, but uh, them or maybe Gustavo shows up. I don't know. I mean, if it's a familiar face from Breaking Bad, no matter who it is, it's really going to make your jaw hit the floor. Really, I mean, that's that's kind of the thing we're waiting to see here, like crossovers and stuff. Yeah. The show hasn't even <laughs> been out yet, but I've heard that it's better than the. The first episode's better. It's better than Breaking Bad. Maybe the first episode, I think it said, or something like that. But they well, said it's already better. Really? Yeah. Mm, that's that's big shoes to fill. I think with Breaking Bad, the hype didn't start kicking in until like later in the series. Where with this series, I feel like all the hype's already there before it even starts. And it's. I hope it lives up to people's expectations. I mean, if it's going to be delivering the same thrill ride that it looks like Breaking Bad was giving, then I don't see why not. Yeah. Hopefully, it doesn't dwindle down as the show comes out and people begin watching it. We'll see. When's it come out? February uh, 8th it was, I believe. Yeah, it premieres after The Walking Dead. Well, I guess I really don't have to finish Breaking Bad to watch that show because it's... They say you don't have to have watched Breaking Bad to enjoy the show, but they say if you know Breaking Bad, you'll enjoy... You'll catch so many more things throughout it, like characters, uh, landmarks and stuff appearing, you know. Yeah, two and a half seasons ago. I think I might be able to... Maybe. There's some more characters you, you haven't seen yet. There's... Man... Yeah, you need to watch the rest of that. But yeah, so look look for that again, February 8th after The Walking Dead. That's a Sunday, and then the very next night, Monday, uh, they're premiering episode two, and that's going to be its new its new spot is Monday nights. Yeah. So better call Saul. All right, moving on. Jack, you have something on Suicide Squad? Yep, on the January 19th, it was posted with, as a rumor that Batman was going to appear in the Suicide Squad. See, that's weird. I can't imagine they would do a movie about all his villains without incorporating him. Like, I, I, I don't know. Assault on Arkham Batman had a big part of that, too. Because that yeah. was about the Suicide Squad, too. But Yeah, he, he was, was in it, just not much. I mean, yeah. it was just mainly around them. Um, apparently, uh, one of the other rumors about it is that it's gonna be, he's going to be in it towards the end. And I guess he's going to have some kind of confrontation about Joker, which is, I guess, supposed to be leading into Batman's standalone movie. Uh, you mean outside of, like, the, the Ben Affleck one? Yeah, well, it'll be Ben Affleck, but, like, after Batman vs. Superman, there's supposed to be a movie. Oh, Batman, I see. Batman, his own movie. That's to follow the Suicide Squad? Yep. And apparently that's supposed to be loosely based on The Dark Knight Returns when he fights the Joker. His battle with the Joker from The Dark Knight Returns is going to be more of what the second movie's about. Yes. <laughs> Boy, they're mixing shit all up, aren't yeah, they? yeah. So they're going to stretch the Frank Miller story between two movies, it sounds like. Yeah, it looks like the, the first one, It's good. they're doing it reversed, it sounds like, almost. Yeah, well, yeah, in the Frank Miller, he, he the Joker was dead by the time the Superman-Batman thing happened. But yeah. Whatever, I understand how to move stuff around for movies, and uh, I just hope Jared Leto... Well, do you think he'll do Joker in the next movie, too? He'll, He'd he'll have to. Keep him, to yeah. keep yeah, keep up continuity. Unless he bombs it. <laughs> All right, that'll do it for the rumor mill. The rumors! <laughs> Can't get away from the rumor mill. Yeah. Rumors. All right. Well, Jack, you want to talk about some comic books? Yep. So this week, after we talked uh, last week, Dave Delachase, about uh, Batman, the animated series a lot, it got me wanting to read these books I picked up out of a bargain bin. Now, look at look at the condition these things are in. These things were not boarded or bagged or anything. They were uh, just free-floating in a whole like tub full of just tattered comics and good look at yeah what good condition they're in but i paid a dollar for each of them just uh issues nine and ten from uh 
Batman Adventures. And this was out, uh, you know, in the early 90s, promoting the animated series, obviously. But uh, I stopped and read them, and the first one is like a part two or part three of a story that's already been going on, so I'm kind of missing a lot what's happening in there, but uh, pretty much there's a book of contacts that belongs to Rupert Thorne that Batman's desperately trying to get, and that Thorne and his men are desperately trying to keep away. So pretty much this whole issue here, not a lot of going on other than Batman infiltrating Rupert Thorne's house or mansion and getting uh, getting the book he needs. But uh, issue two here was you see the Riddler get out of prison, and uh, he's saying, "Well, I'm going to give up the life of crime." But his his henchmen say, "Oh, you're too good, boss. You know, don't quit, don't quit." So he decides, "I'm going to go for one more, one more hurrah." see if I can uh, beat the Batman because he's always like every riddle I give him he solves and I end up back in prison so he comes up with a riddle to steal some piece of jewelry from some museum showing in the end ultimately there's a confrontation with Batman Batman takes him down as they're holding him away riddles like how did you solve that riddle Batman and Batman says I didn't solve it I, I couldn't solve it. He's like, I just figured out, you know, what you were going to do, and I stopped you. Nice. And as they're hauling him away, the Riddler is on top of the world. He doesn't care. He's going back to prison. He's just on top of the world. But he, he stumped him. He stumped him. He made a riddle <laughs> that the Batman couldn't figure out. So they carry the same kind of uh, tone and weight that the animated series does. I mean, I'm sure they're just more uh, made to promote the cartoon, but I love old comic books like this. It still is made with, like, the old paper that, like, if you had just the slightest bit of, like, moisture on your fingers, it would absorb. But uh, some of the ads in there, I can't remember exactly what there was. Let me flip it open and see here. Are the riddles as in-depth as they are from the 66? Uh, whenever I'm reading a Riddler story or watching a Riddler cartoon or something and a joke comes up or a riddle comes up, I always hit pause and see, I'm going to see if I can figure this out before <laughs> they show anything. And with the Adam West ones, they were so fucking just <laughs> off the wall retarded. There was yeah. no solving them. They just really never made sense. Like, but well, uh, this and this and this over here. And then he comes up with number. Like the one I was watching, was it last week, where Joker was printing counterfeit money oh, yeah. under the name Whiteface. Right. The, uh, the way he came to the conclusion of where it was at was beyond me. I couldn't believe that he got it. It's like, come again now, Batman? Yeah, what was like, that? How the hell did you figure that out of that? <laughs> So yeah, like some of the ads in here, just like the uh, the Coneheads movie coming this summer oh, ads, the uh, the Crash Test Dummies, the uh, toys. Yeah, well, for their video game, Game Boy and Nintendo games uh, on the dreaded LGN label. LJN, <laughs> excuse me. What else is in here? I saw like a Mega Man video game. Ad, yeah, right there, Mega Man Five ad. So I mean, it's very, uh, very early '90s, but it's a time capsule. Yeah, and it makes me—I uh, don't know—it just makes me feel like a kid again because all those ads were running in comic books when I started. Uh, the cover started of, reading. of that one reminds me of uh, that artwork that David Brown, when we were at Cincinnati, uh, Comic oh, yeah. Expo, the black and white sketch that he gave us. Well, he gave us a couple of them, but the one that I took reminds me of a lot because Batman was on top of a car and there was two people in it. I think it was like Joker and Two-Face or something in the car. You'll have to send me a picture of that. I don't remember seeing that one. Another one I just, I'm going to talk about real quick here since Jeff isn't around is uh, one he actually let me borrow was Return to Jurassic Park. We were on our Jurassic Park high there for a while, two or three episodes uh, when they released the trailer to Jurassic World. Mm -hmm. But it's it's just a Topps comic. Also came out right after, uh, looks like the first Jurassic Park maybe. But uh, it was fun. I mean, again, another comic made, I think, just to promote the movies. But in in this issue, the government and some genetics 
company are on the island hurting, killing, capting, like taking dinosaurs captive. And uh, it was just funny, you know, how like resist resistant everyone was in the movies to go back to the island. Yeah. In this here, they're like, yo, there's no way you're going to get us back on the island. Less than a page later, it like shows them standing on the beach of the island. <laughs> it's like, really? But he got, uh, it looks like you see Grant, Ellie, and uh, Malcolm all sitting there. But for some reason, Malcolm doesn't go to the island. But um, it could it could be a fun story to follow along with. I mean, if you can find all the issues now, I can't see this being something that became super super popular. But say, is that like a one shot or? No, I think it was just the number one of the top series they had going for a little while just to promote the movies. But again, I don't think they did anything. They made any uh, ripples in the comic world, you know what I mean? (laughs) But uh, one thing in it that I didn't like was uh, Robert Muldoon was there with them, like walking around the island, and we watched him die in the first movie. Yeah. Yeah, he got attacked by raptors, and this return to Jurassic Park, well, he came back and he's still alive, I guess. So (laughs) raptors aren't that deadly, I guess. But yeah, that's all I have, just these old 90s comics I love to read and love the ads in them, love the paper, love everything about them. I picked up Flash Rebirth, the graphic novel. Okay. And it's about Flash, well, Flash had died after the end of the Infinite, Crisis on Infinite Earth series, mm-hmm. which was about 20 years, 25 years before this came out, where they brought him back. There's a foreword in it by Matt Chernis of Los Angeles, California. I don't know who he was. Oh, he works with a, he's a TV producer. Okay. But anyway, he was just talking about how, you know, comic book characters, sometimes they die, but when they die, it has to be great, and it's best to keep them dead for a long time, because right. else it really doesn't mean anything. Right. And the Flash being gone for 25 years and then came back out of nowhere, it was pretty cool, because he just, apparently he wasn't dead, he just was hanging out in the time, for, or the Speed Force for all the time. <laughs> Just 25 years. And then he just, poof, all of a sudden shows up out of nowhere. And I got through the first two, the first two chapters and he's kind of wondering what the, what the heck's going on. All right. So at one point, uh, the flash is running and all of a sudden there's a huge flash and all of a sudden, uh, one of his, the villains called Zavatar, he's another speedster, but he's crazy and had this big cult following him. But, uh, they killed him a while back too. And he just shows up out of nowhere. The flash ends up catching up to him, touches him. And the guy just disintegrates into bones. Oh, really? Yeah. So at that exact time, like all the other flashes, like Wally West, Kid Flash, Bart, Jay Garrick, the original Flash, they all have like, they all get shocked all to hell pretty much. They go through convulsions and stuff. Like it all affects them at the same time. Barry's trying to figure out what the hell's going on. Him and it's so so confusing because there's so many flashes. Wally West is actually the younger version of the Flash. It was Barry, then Wally, and then he goes to Bart Allen. Wally and Flash are running around. They come up to this. It's like a meteor hit the ground. Found out that it's the Flash that wears the black suit called the Black Flash. But apparently he would show up anytime one of the speedsters would start to die. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, Barry ends up switching over and they find out he's the Black Flash. What? Yeah, so weird. It's it's really good. I, Something you got to just pay a lot of like very close attention to as you're reading through it, sounds like. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's not reading it, it's not really confusing unless you haven't read before like I don't know the a lot of the story before this which I got to go read Infinite Infinite Crisis on Infinite Earth now. So this is like he's been gone for 25 years in a nutshell and then he comes back and then he it's like up. his explanation as to where he's it shows where he's been. Not really, he's back. He's not sure why he's back. Everyone's happy that he's back. <laughs> and then all of a sudden this one guy shows up, he disintegrates in his hands, 
all the other speedsters pretty much start getting the shit shocked out of him. And then they find out he's like the death speedster. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, so that's that's two two chapters into it. A lot of speedsters out there. DC's pretty deep storylines. I would say. Compared to a lot of the Marvel ones I read. Just like with uh, uh, the brightest or blackest night. Oh, right. It's real deep stories, too. I love those deep Batman stories. Of course, uh, all the other ones are probably just as good. I don't know. With uh, this big Marvel announcement and, you know, the shaky ground we're standing on, I I don't know. DC's 52s are starting to look a little more uh, (laughs) appetizing. I've I've always said I'm going to start merging over that way. And, you know, like I picked up Batman and Robin with uh, Damien's on the cover and number 38. And I started reading Scott Snyder's Batman. Just so good, man. So hopefully if I fall off that wagon, I still have the DC wagon to sit on. Awesome. But yeah, Flash, Rebirth. It's pretty good so far. All right. Good finds this week. Mm -hmm. All right. And with that, let's move right into... Real World Heroes! Jack, who do we have this week? We have another unnamed hero. Another He's anonymous been all over hero? The TV the last week or so. Okay. Um, in England last week, I think it was uh, around the 23rd, uh, there was a, a jewelry heist in London. Three guys came in with, uh, I think, sledgehammers to break into the place. Ended up getting a bunch of, of stuff. And as they were running away to get on their motorcycles, a uh, city worker, guy in a suit and tie, jumped on the back of one of the guys running and what? tried to tackle him to the ground. The guy that he tried to tackle, he ended up pulling out like a two-foot machete. Holy shit. Started swinging on it, and the guy let him go. But I think uh, because he did that, slowed the guy down, so the police ended up catching him. Really? Yep. <laughs> that takes some balls right there. Yeah, there's video of it. I'll have it up on the website. Where was this again? London. I'd like to think I could do that. Ended up being like actually... a little Peter Parker. Not my policy or something like that. Oh, yeah. Hey, why don't you stop him? Not my policy, guys. I'm moving on. <laughs> Thank God for uh, like people out there like our anonymous hero, who yep. has now found a spot on our wall of justice. In the Hall of Heroes. So congratulations, anonymous hero. And thank you for your good deeds. A few things to talk about here quick before we cut over to our interview with Jim Lawson. Um, let's start with the Razzie Awards, and then we'll end on Battle World. Cause we've That'll <laughs> work, yeah. Go ahead. So the Razzie Awards, or the Golden Raspberries, they're called. They're basically the anti-Academy uh, Awards. Okay. Academy Awards go for best this and that. This is the worst. Oh, boy. So I there, there's a whole big long list, but I grabbed the, the best parts of them. Okay. Uh, worst Picture, and this is the nominees. This is for 2014, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. nominees. Um, the winners will be released on February 21st at 8 p.m., so we'll probably do a recap on that one. Okay. Uh, worst picture, Kurt Cameron's Saving Christmas. Oh, I don't even have to hear the other nominees. <laughs> That's it right there. <laughs> also, uh, Left Behind, which we I almost, Misty almost wanted to watch it. Left Behind also being the Kurt Cameron? No, that's one of the, that's the worst picture category. These are there's five movies in the worst category that for nominations. Right, but wasn't Left Behind a, a Kurt Cameron project as well? Are you I, talking? No, I don't the, think so. You're not talking the uh, like the Christian theme Left Behind, or is there something else out called Left Behind? No, that that was it. The the Christian themed one that was the bestseller, New York bestseller, a couple back in the early 2000s. Really, I thought Kurt Cameron was in those movies. Mm-mm. No, 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 Nicolas Cage was in this movie. Oh, Kurt Cameron had that one that he did. Saving Christmas. No, but years. I got to look into this because there was something left behind from. Unless Kirk. was it a TV show they tried doing. 
Yeah, right here. Left, be Left Behind the Movie is a Christian-based film released in 2000, starring Kirk Cameron, Brad Johnson. So it's it's a different... Uh, yeah, there's that cover. <laughs> well, Do I want to see this or the Nicolas Cage one? <laughs> Probably the Nicolas Cage one. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Okay. Uh, also, The Legend of Hercules, The Ooh. Rocks movie. Yeah. Also, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Transformers 4 Age of Extinction. You know, I started watching Transformers 4 the other day, and I fell asleep, and after I woke up realiz realizing I missed the last half of the movie, I thought, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have a big urge to go back. It was it was all right. It was way too long, and the human-made Autobots or whatever Transformers were retarded. Yeah. The way they just transformed into a bunch of blocks and flew around and then remerged. It looked fake. Well, maybe I didn't get that far. I was thinking of the... the the bad guy that was working with Kelsey Grammer. Oh yeah, the big guy that would come over yeah. and just shoot. Yeah, he was that whole. Uh, that was really hard to follow who he even was. He was just like a bounty hunter, pretty much coming to get Prime. Worst actor: Nicolas Cage from Left Behind. Megan Fox from Turtles on that list. This is for the worst male actor. Oh, worst male actor. Okay. Kurt Cameron. Kurt Cameron Saving Christmas. Uh, Kellen Lutz, someone from The Legend Hercules. I didn't see that movie, so I don't know who it is. Uh, this one's Seth MacFarlane for A Million Ways to Die in the West. What? Really? Yeah, worst actor. And Adam Sandler from Blended, which I didn't see that. Yeah, I don't want to yeah, see. Cares. I'm tired of seeing those two <laughs> movies together. Uh, next we have worst actress, Drew Barrymore from Blended. Don't care. Don't Is that, no, that's that's Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore trying to capture their wedding singer popularity uh, yeah. over again. Yeah. It's not going to happen. No. Uh, Cameron Diaz from The Other Woman and the movie Sex Tape. Meh. Melissa McCarthy from Tammy. Meh. Charlize Theron from A Million Ways to Die in the West. I don't care what she's in. She looks good. <laughs> and Gaia Weiss from The Legend of Hercules. Mm. And then last of all, we have the worst remake, ripoff, or sequel. The nominees are Annie. Really? I heard that was doing really well. Really? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, the Legend of Hercules, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah, here we go. And Transformers 4. Ouch. Yeah, that's... No Marvel titles in there, you see. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but wow. they won't get an Academy Award. No. This is the one exception where Kurt Cameron's going to sweep an award ceremony. <laughs> He'll get every single nomination. Well, just enjoy it while it lasts, Kurt. All right, anything else on that? <laughs> no, we'll see you in February. Yes, we will. All right, moving on. The big Marvel announcement, Battle World. Um, I'm sure most of you already know, but what Marvel has said is they're going to, and this is old news by now because I think they announced this on the day after we record the episode before this. So what we've been out have this news like almost have. two weeks now. Yeah. yeah. So they're taking the Marvel universe as we know it, and the Ultimate Universe, right, and smushing them together, taking the best parts, putting them all into one universe called Battle World, which. I'm still having a little bit of trouble understanding. I mean, I get the concept of what they're saying. Yeah. You take everyone keeps saying. I think that the actual Marvel rep said at the at the announcement was like, "You have two pizzas, and uh, you know this. It, you take toppings from each to mix into one kind of thing." I get that. I just what I mainly don't understand is this map here the, we're yeah. looking at. <laughs> Like, um, is this the actual world, or is this map just kind of been laid out to show us what pieces are going to be in this new universe, or is Manhattan really going to be like right in this, like close to the center of this new formed continent? 
Well, it's like with the when I was looking at the map, the one on the Marvel's website that's interactive, you can click on each one of the continents. There's only maybe about six that really show anything because they're going to slowly release them as it gets closer. Right. But like Spider-World, still supposed to take place in New York City. Everyone gets spider powers. Oh, the Spider-Land thing? That's right up. What is this? That's his number seven. Yeah. This little... Spider Island on there. Spider... Oh, yeah, no, your land. It is Spider Island. Little Wang hanging up here off in the uh, off in the water here. So that's just going to be a version of Manhattan with nothing but Spider-Man. I guess. That's what I don't quite understand. Hmm. I, I just saw something on the internet that said this whole Greenland, this whole top area here, mm-hmm. is going to be uh, Planet Hulk. Uh, I think Planet Hulk's number two on there. Oh, is that number two? Yeah, it's just that little Dystopia? Part. Yeah, so, something like that. But there's also a Days of Future Past land, um, House of M land. So are they just saying, like, what happened in all these stories is what's going to ring true in the new universe? Is the new universe just going to pick up with all these characters being thrown into new situations? Or are we going to start with all new origin stories with all these characters, like start completely over, right? I just don't know what... I have no idea. There's Iron Fist land. (laughs) It's not called Iron Fist land, yeah. Uh, the Armor Wars, which is all uh, Iron Man. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's, yeah. They, they didn't do a very good job in explaining it, but I guess they're kind of just saying, we'll just read these books. I'm sure they'll uh, unveil more as it gets closer, but I found these things online here on uh, newsarama.com, like these guides to each little continent here. Like number eight, the Regency. Okay, so it looks like, yeah, like number eight, for instance, says the Regency, which is just south of Spiderland. But it looks like this is going to be the world where Peter and Mary Jane and Mayday Parker are all living together. So set in the future? I'm not sure about this one. Um, Moving on. Arachnia, 16. Prevalent theories seem to hold that Arachnia will spin out of the conclusion of the Spider-Verse, playing some something of a counterpoint to Spider-Island, which is recalls the recent event where many characters and numerous civilians receive Spider-Man's powers. Well, we can sit here and look at this all day. I mean, <laughs> not still don't get quite any... understand how they're going to take two universes, put it together, but then still have all these other separate worlds again. Yeah, again. like are we? I and, and all these artist conception things you see the spider-man that's up front foremost is the miles was it miles miles morales that's yeah he's the ultimate spider-man too i think yeah but i wonder if he's going to become the prominent spider-man in the universe because you don't see any peter parker spider-man there peter i would i can't imagine they would get rid of peter but and you know i'm sure there's details that i'm not aware of there's so many people that know so much more about this they're probably like duh you fucking idiot (laughs) but um Please feel free to reach out to us and help us help shed a little light onto uh, the battle world for us and maybe some of our listeners because I'd love to know more. Um, I'm going to try it out when it comes out, but uh, yeah, like we were saying earlier, I, I'm glad that DC is going to be there to uh, give me a shoulder to cry on if it's too big of a change. So. I might even get that Avengers trade that they were talking about on the release day on the video. This says kind of gets you into what's going on. Oh, really? Yeah. It'll give you an idea of what. See, I still haven't watched that video. Ah. I'll, maybe I'll put the audio to that on the end of this, this episode, just so people can listen to it if they haven't heard it already. I, again, I haven't heard it. How long was it? Uh, Thirty minutes. Well, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I really have on Battle World. Just wanted to at least say we know about it. Not that we know a whole lot about it. We know as about much as everyone else does, I guess. So we'll uh, deliver those details as they unfold. 
All right, everyone, now we can get to the best part of this episode where we get to interview with professional comic artist and writer Jim Lawson, who's best known for his work with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. We're going to talk with him about the turtles for a little while, and then we're going to turn over to his uh, newer project, The Walk Through Dinosaur Land, which is currently running on Kickstarter until February 11th. So don't forget to check that out. But in the meantime, here's our interview with Jim Lawson. Our guest today is a professional comic book artist who is best known for his work on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles during his 25 years with Mirage Studios. He's also the creator of Paleo, Tales from the Late Crustaceous, and currently has a Kickstarter running for his uh, latest project, A Walk Through Dinosaur Land. Ladies and gentlemen, the legendary Jim Lawson. Thanks for being with us, Jim. Oh, it's my pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. I'm just tickled pink. I'm a huge, huge Turtles yeah. fan, and I'm a little nervous. I'm going to be honest with you, okay? <laughs> so I might get tongue-tied here and there a little bit, but... Um... <laughs> Well, I'm nervous, too. I'm terrible at this stuff. So uh, if, if you see me uh, kind of searching for words and, and stalling and muttering, you'll, you'll know that, you know, it's just my nerves get. <laughs> Fair enough, man. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's jump all the way back to the beginning. How did you get your start in comics? Where did uh, your inspiration come from? You, you know what, Jeremy? Ba- basically, I, I've always been a kind of like a, an artist or, you know, a, a guy that loved to draw. So, like, as far back as I, I can remember in elementary school, you know, I was kind of like the kid in the back of the class with his head down mm-hmm. um, and I would draw these big kind of like um, in my line notebook pads I would draw these big like war scenes of these like planes and ships like shooting at each other and stuff like that I got I, I don't know where that came from but uh, <laughs> so you know I, I frustrated my teachers I, I was naturally a poor student but I kind of always knew that um, I loved art, and that's what I wanted to do. And so I kind of squeaked my way through school and uh, went off to art school. You know, I was kind of, I, I've got to admit, my, my comics knowledge, I, w- I was a comics reader when I was a kid, you know, a young kid. And then, you know, I kind of I got out of it a little bit and was never really into, like, the the real superhero-y type stuff. What was I buying? Spider-Man was a big one I was buying. That That's an exception, but, you know, back then it was like uh, Werewolf by Night. I know me and my sister would buy buy that book and Ghost Rider, and uh, mm. uh, there was a Dracula comic and Swamp Thing, all those guys I, I loved. Um, and uh, then I stopped. And then I went to art school, and I was thinking I was going to be more like along the lines of an illustrator, um, I always think of Brad Holland, who was kind of a guy back then who was kind of hot in the illustration business. I wanted right. to be like him. Um, and I can remember when I was at art school, it was down in Connecticut, you know, I met this kid who did this little kind of like Ashcan little comic book, and it was called like Nick Danger or something like that. And he was kind of like this private eye. I can v- remember very distinctly this panel where he's like looking out through uh, like a Venetian blind window, and he's like peeling apart the, the the lines on the Venetian blind with his hand, you know. And, you know, I was like, well, you know, wow, this I'd never seen really comics that way before. It always been like newsstand to me. Right, and it was kind of I thought I thought it was really cool, um, and then uh, you know got a degree in illustration, uh, came home and um, you know got a got a kind of a, a 
little piddly job at the local paper, and through a friend of a friend, my friend knew Pete's wife, Janine, and she was like, oh, I've got this friend. She, you know, she's an English teacher at the high school, and her husband, along with his partner, they're having a success with this comic book. And I told them about you, and they agreed, you know, they would, you know, you could go over and meet them and, you know, talk about comics and stuff, and, and that's exactly what happened. And wow. uh, I went and saw Kevin and, and Pete. You know, uh, it was over at Kevin's apartment. He was sharing with Steve Levine at the time. They were these crazy guys running around, you know, shooting each other with these little disc guns and, you know, <laughs> acting very childish and having just a great, great time. And, uh, you know, kind of amazed, I think, at the success that the book was having. I couldn't even tell you what issue. It was probably around issue three, maybe. At the time, I met those guys somewhere in there. Wow, so real early. And um, yeah, they, I, you know, I had my portfolio, and they just said, "Oh, you want to try inking a backup story?" Which, you know, that was I think Prime Slime Tales at the time. Uh, this guy, I think his name was Tony Basilicata, would come to them with this uh, Prime Slime Tales, this kind of crazy cat character. Um, and uh, Tony was, you know, writing and penciling the stories and asked me if I want to try inking it, and, which I, I did. And, and ever since then, I've been with those guys. How freaking Yeah, it's just, you know, good timing and good fortune and good luck. Yeah. So what was your uh, impression of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles when you first heard of them? I mean, did, had you any knowledge of them before going to meet Kevin and Pete? Or was what would what, you think the first time you saw them? I, I had no, uh, no, I had no knowledge of them. It, it was all new to me. Um, you know, I, I thought it was great. You know, from, you know, of course, everyone's first reaction to the name uh, is kind of uh, mild curiosity and amusement, I guess. But, you know, once I saw, you know, the comics were kind of like gritty and hardcore, kind of, uh, you know, the kind of stories that appealed to me, you know. Sure. And, and so when I, I saw what they were doing, you know, I, I thought it was just cool as hell. And, uh, you, you know, once again, it, it was kind of that alternative kind of non-standard comic you know, non-superhero-y thing, you know, uh, I, I just thought it was great. It, it kind of blew me away. I saw on the internet that uh, it was saying you're one of the original drafters of the Creator's Bill of Rights. Is that accurate? You know what, Jeremy, back back in the day, um, I don't know, I'm going to try and give you like short answers that make sense. To be honest with you, the, the answer, if someone were to ask me that, I would probably have to say no. You know, I, I, I would... I would say it's Kevin and Pete, and I, I don't even know if it, it was like a Declaration of Independence thing where everyone signed it and so on. <laughs> I, I couldn't even tell you if my signature's on there or not, but it was mostly those guys kind of like setting it up, and just by uh, my association with them, you know, I, I honestly couldn't tell you if I was included or not. I mean, I was there, I was aware of it, but, you know, I would put down my participation in it as probably somewhat low. Yeah. So what are Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird like to work with? I mean, I know you said they're very, they were very playful and uh, having a lot of fun, but when it, when it comes to get down to business, I mean, what were they like to work with? You know, really, really cool. Um, you know, uh, when we talked earlier, you mentioned the Creator's Bill of Rights in the, in the early, early days of the studio. You know, everything was, you know, the, they wanted to treat all the artists as good as they possibly could. I, I honestly felt more or less we were all on the same equal footing. Um, there was a real, you know, well, there's that word creative again, you know, kind of like an energy in, in the beginning that was really, really positive. 
you know, Kevin's personality was, you know, Kevin was younger, uh, kind of a little, a, a little more wild side to him. Uh, Pete, on the other hand, was older, um, probably more reserved, a little less social, maybe. Kevin, very social. Pete, Pete, not social. Um, so it, it was, you know, it wasn't an oil and water type thing, but they were very different guys. And, you know, it was kind of neat. You know, Kevin had a real, I think, you know, an, uh, what do I want to say, like an edgier art style, a very cinematic way, I think, of uh, his panel designs and, and uh, you know, the way he drew his comics. Mm-hmm. You know, Pete, on the other hand, I think was more kind of like cerebral, kind of intellectual. Uh, you know, Pete's real strength, I, I think, was like uh, writing, uh, writing. you know, I want to say like writing scenes. I don't know if that's quite the, the way I want it to come out. <laughs> Pete, I think, is brilliant at dialogue, most definitely. Not to say Pete is a bad uh, draftsman. I, I think he's really great. I love his art, very detailed. You know, Kevin, more action-y, maybe. Kevin had a great action sense, I think. You know, it, it, it's funny when I talk about those two guys, I think like, you know, they both had their strengths, which kind of seem opposite of each other, maybe a little bit. And I think maybe neither one of them separately has had the success that they had when they were together. And that, I think, was the real kind of like genius of the Ninja Turtles, I guess, was having both of them working together, you know, for a while in the in the Turtle book. Um, I think they were starting to go their own. I think they each had maybe their own vision somewhat for the Turtles. And I think for a while there, I always have a tough time, like, nailing down specific issues and stuff like that. But, oh, like, for okay. example, Kevin would do an issue like The Untouchables. And then Pete would do an issue. Uh, the one that always pops in my brain is when uh, the Turtles run into this kind of uh, uh, militia group out in the woods. I, I don't I don't know the name of it. But... You know, it, it's and they're both great, but I, I think when the two of them get together, that's when the real magic happens. You know, right? That's that's neat. Two people yeah. from opposite ends of the spectrum being able to yeah. put something out as awesome as this. Very cool. <laughs> Well, it's it's been about a year, I'd say, just over a year that we've been doing this show, right? Mm-hmm. And that's about the time I, we both start getting heavy back into comics. And uh, it's when I first started really digging back into the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comic books uh, as deep as I have been lately. And uh, one of the stories that I read was one you had wrote and uh, did the art for was uh, The Path. The story of uh, Michelangelo and his cat Clunk uh, came yeah. highly recommended to me, and I read it and fell in love with it. I'm a, we're both huge animal lovers here, and um, I could really relate to that story at the time. Is, can you tell us the inspiration of the, the story of The Path? Well, let's see. Going back, i gotta, I got to kind of remember now. Um, you know, I'm an animal lover, too. You know, I've got a cat, a couple of dogs. Um, and it was the story of Clunk. He actually dies in the story, but he gets, yeah, he gets hit by the car, and then uh, Michelangelo takes him. Oh, yeah, he runs into um, kind of this homeless woman who takes him to this kind of, like, shaman-type guy who could actually save Clunk. But the thing is that Michelangelo would have to make the decision to, uh, like, sacrifice another life to save Clunk. And he, he just can't do it. I, I, I always like stories. You know, I, I, I like the idea, first of all, to have the story of, uh, you know, what happens to uh, Clunk. We've probably, you guys have probably been through this, too, of losing a pet. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it's a pretty hardcore thing. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, 
you know, I, I, I like a lot of stories that kind of like go really into the kind of like emotion, the emotion of the character, I guess. No, I see what you mean. It's it's yeah. going from just fighting uh, endless bad guys to uh, tackling your inner emotion, something you deal with just uh, at your own home, something you would, wouldn't typically see from uh, the Ninja Turtles. Yeah, and and I think it really, you know, there there's like a connection when something they go through something themselves that you know, for example, we we've gone through. You know, could mm-hmm. could we ourselves ever make this choice? You know, then then Michelangelo was kind of. Um, stuck with and you know it was good for him because i think i don't know so much in the early early days but of course his character has developed now into this kind of like goofy right kind of silly guy so so particularly to have him you know he he i could see him as the the one who would be most you know emotionally connected to to clunk right and so to have him kind of like deal with this really serious kind of decision and and could he would he do it um you know i just thought it was a really interesting story yeah, you get to see that character grow a little bit in that story. It was beautiful. I loved it. Thank you. Yeah, man. Thank you. What I don't think a lot of people know, or maybe they do, is that uh, you created uh, the Rat King, the character of the Rat King, and he debuted in Tales of TMNT uh, issue four called I Monster. Yeah. Where did the idea for that character come from? You know what? Um, <laughs> it, it's pretty interesting. I, I grew up in Connecticut, and, and I have to say I very, very loosely based this guy on um, there was a guy that lived in Connecticut, I want to say in the late 1800s, and they called him the Leatherman. And really? he was kind of this um, this homeless guy who had a, a route. Uh, and what I mean by that is he, he would kind of wander around this predetermined route. Uh, I, I don't know if he kept a regular schedule, but it, it, it was crazy, Jeremy. It was like over 300 miles long, and he would... He would travel around and, you know, uh, he'd show up, I guess, at people's houses and they would expect him because this was kind of like what, what this guy did. And from what I understand, he was kind of like a, uh, he came from France, or I think he was a French speaker. And I don't even know if he spoke any English, but so he would he would walk around and, and live in caves and, uh, you know, take, I guess, people knew of him and they would, you know, give him food and, and this and that. And the thing with him was he wore this leather suit that he made for himself, and it was all little patches and pieces. I, I can think of one photograph, probably if you went on the Internet and uh, Googled the Leatherman, you'd probably find this guy. Oh, I'm definitely going to uh, <laughs> he was kind of like a, a floppy hat, and, you know, you can imagine how heavy this leather suit was he sure. wore. Crazy. And I don't know anything else about this guy other than that, but, um, you know, it kind of made me think how interesting it would be to have this character that uh, lived in the woods and kind of like... You know, he was, you know, delusional, you know, insane or whatever, you know, took on this persona, persona of of this monster. And, you know, even though he was, you know, he was a man, he he could basically give all that up and be whatever he wanted to be. So right. I, I thought it was kind of neat, you know, what what would happen if, if he ran into the turtles. At the end of the story, he kind of like, even though all through the story he fears the rats, you know, when he's finally forced to be with them, you know, they kind of befriend him, I guess, you know, for lack of a better word. So he kind of may, makes that quick switch in his brain and, and, you know, decides that he's now the Rat King. So That's awesome. Mm. 
That's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> now, you know, looking at the the pictures, you know, of, from that comic of the Rat King, it looks like in the '80s cartoon they did uh, a pretty close variation of the same character. Just a guy who lived in the sewer was just wearing some tattered clothes. But in more recent incarnations of the character, whether it be in the comic or in the cartoon, he's really taken on a much much darker tone. Uh, I know in the recent cartoon he's got his eyes covered up. He has like a big like. Uh, big brim hat on, a long leather coat, kind of going back to what you're saying about Leatherman. But uh, what do you feel of the character's uh, more recent incarnations? Do you like how dark he's gotten? Or you, you know, I, I don't mind how dark he's he's gotten. I guess although it, it it has gone a long way from just kind of like this kind of delusional guy. Uh, you know, now now it seems like he's you know. It, in in my version, he wasn't really an evil character, really. Right. Whereas now he seems like he's truly a bad guy. Right. The the design of him, I, I just don't get it. Uh, he he looks like a, a Mexican preacher or something. <laughs> I, I don't understand where they got that design or how they mm. thought it was cool, but yeah, and he looks like his face is like like dead and decayed. He's missing teeth. It was just yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, he looks like a zombie or something. Yeah, yeah a little yeah. bit. Oh my, I'm looking at a picture of him now. <laughs> oh, he's terrifying. Yeah. I mean, it's it's amazing uh, that something that terrifying is in a show intended for children, you know. But uh, I mean, I'm eating it up. But it's you, just know, a, you know that you, you talk about that recent cartoon. I, I gotta say, I, I'm pretty amazed at how good it's been. I'm a that. big fan. Yeah, me too. <laughs> it, they just encompasses all the best aspects of all the different uh, TMNT stories told. I mean, you see clips from, you know, things from the comics, little bits and pieces yeah. from the movies, uh, from yeah. the cartoons, all meshed very well. I, I, I agree. I, I'm I'm really wow. There were a few recent episodes. Um, there was kind of like the the rat think Donnie mutant car thing, which you know we we did a comic like that. Oh really? Uh, yeah. One of the tales. Um, uh, one of the tales issues was um, you know we had a character Von Clutch, which was was a kind of like a an homage to uh, you know Big Daddy Roth, and uh, it was Casey and oh, who was he with? I want to say Mike out in the southwestern desert, and they they raced this Von Clutch character, and I can remember even um, way back in the Mirage days, we did kind of like a portfolio of. Um, just like little design, you know, little drawings, you know, each one of us guys in the studio did one. Steve Levine did a kind of a rat think turtle driving a, a Volkswagen van, and I was like, oh, man, that design looks so close to Steve's. Right. That, you know, it's really kind of cool. That Napoleon Dynamite episode, I thought. Oh, was, yes. <laughs> that was, was really amazing. Good. Yeah. And then today, I actually watched it just this morning, and they did. They're doing the whole Return to New York thing, and they have the kind of three mutant shredder things that were right out of the old Mirage books. Oh, yes. Which I thought was really cool. Oh, my God. I can't wait to go downstairs and watch yeah, that. Yeah, I know exactly really cool. what you're talking about. I thought another neat thing was they took uh, the the van, the Volkswagen van, and they uh, made it into like the, the 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 party wagon or the turtle van. That's exactly and, and what I was going to say. And on one of the doors, say. they um, Leonardo painted like Venus with a female turtle, kind of like the old nose art in the airplanes and stuff like that. You're kidding me. Really, really cool. I love those little details they, they throw into that cartoon. Very oh, I neat. can't wait to watch this new episode. <laughs> I am just tickled. It's on my DVR. I just haven't got to watch it yet. That's amazing. No, I, I, I was going to also say something about the party wagon because when the show first came out, they had the 
what was it the battle shell the great big tank looking thing and i was like yeah it's yeah. kind of like the old school van but what are you gonna do and then yeah. that gets trashed <laughs> the next thing you know they're riding around an old volkswagen van it's like it's coming to fruition yeah 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 it finally happened Another uh, cool thing, I think I already told you about this, Jack, was in one of these newer episodes of season three, I think it was, and it may have been that Napoleon uh, Dynamite episode where Mikey's kind of wandering the woods and people are reporting seeing a monster out there and you see sketches of what uh, what they've seen in the woods and there's a picture of Michelangelo oh, like from the the new Michael Bay yeah. movie like from the movie <laughs> that, was, that was brilliant I lost it <laughs> hey I gotta ask you guys what you thought about the movie oh man um, I enjoyed it don't get me wrong I've seen yeah. it a billion yeah. times since then it's it's a turtles oh, really? and yeah, gravitate yeah. toward it but there were a few things here a few minor complaints I had have you yeah. seen it. Yeah, I saw it when it came out. You didn't. You don't sound too optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you think? I I did not like it at all, yeah. to tell you the truth. No, I I, can I, understand. I was very upset. I couldn't sleep that night, and I, really? I never ever do this. And I went online and wrote this kind of scathing review of the movie, and it, it really got to me. I was I was very unhappy. But. Sure. Well, one thing that they took away from the movie that is just a key essential was the whole, uh, you know, Hamato Yoshi and, uh, uh, help me, Oroko Saki backstory, you know, that was the fuel that made the turtles and the whole story, you know, worthwhile. And they take that away. They just make it like a random, uh, random kind of meeting. They just happened to be lab experiments. I did not like that at all. It took away the, uh, the girth of the story. I, I, I got, I got to agree with you there. You know, I think one of the coolest part about the turtles is kind of like the whole, you know, history and family thing i guess exactly yeah it, just it, the, the movie the book really and... lacked the heart that i i think had been there exactly well you, you can yeah you feel for those characters through that story and i don't know they it seemed yeah. like they kept trying to hammer home that yeah we love each other we're a family but there's no you know again no real backstory to it it's just, yeah yeah, and we happen to be next to each other in a lab, so I'm going <laughs> yeah, to, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, I could sit and bitch about that movie all day, but I'm not going to. <laughs> Though I still watch it. I like the I like some of the fight scenes, but uh the end too, the let's let's play a childhood game and that'll that's a little what, beat yeah. shredder that's been whooping our asses mercilessly this whole time. But <laughs> <laughs> anyway, again, I could go on for a little while. All right, well, let's uh, let's move a little bit past the Ninja Turtles and uh, start gravitating a little bit more toward your current Kickstarter you have running. Now, anyone who's familiar with your work knows that you're a huge fan of dinosaurs. I mean, not only do you see dinosaurs in some of your uh, turtle works, but uh, also with Paleo, Tales of Lake Crustaceous, Dragonfly in 2013 that was successfully yeah. funded on Kickstarter, and now uh, you're doing a walk through dinosaur lands. Uh, yeah. What is what is it about dinosaurs? <laughs> you know, I, that, that's probably a good question. Uh, other than they're, they're just so much fun to draw. Uh, you know, there's something crazy about them, kind of almost like science fiction that at one time there were these... I, I don't know. There's just something about it. Maybe maybe I never grew up when I was a kid. You know, it seems like all, all kids love dinosaurs. But oh, absolutely. They're just such great creatures, man. Jeez, I wish they were still roaming around. Uh, yeah. <laughs> It'd be cool if I, I would love to go. Ones. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Part of plant eaters. There we go. Yeah, not saying that you should be blamed for your love of dinosaurs. I'm just curious if it was more of an actual love for the dinosaurs or just the drawing of the dinosaurs itself. Or um... yeah, I don't know. I, I guess it's probably probably would me. It's probably more the drawing of them. You know. Uh, you know, I, I don't, I can't actually call myself a dinosaur expert. Or if you came up to me and said, you know, uh, that species of sauropod had four fingers, not three, I, I would be like, oh, you know, I, I don't know this stuff. You know, <laughs> I, I just think they're they're great and fun to draw. I mean, I'm just having fun with it. Sure, but you can um, definitely uh, tell that in your stories too. I love yeah. looking through them. I have, I have a lot more to look at again, but. Uh, what I've seen so far is really awesome. And what's coming out here you have on uh, your Kickstarter, which is now successfully funded. Congratulations, right. by the way. Thank you. I appreciate it. But it's still not too late for people to uh, go and pledge money toward it. But it's a story yeah. of uh, two characters, John and Matthew, who travel back through time to witness, and correct me if I'm wrong, this, the scientifically correct evolution of the, the dinosaurs. Yeah, as, as close as I could get it. I mean, you know, to, to me, my, my thing was I've got a lot of, like, dinosaur reference materials and stuff. But I wanted to put something kind of like in an actual timeline. You know, I wanted to see for myself, you know, I did it as much for me, you know, how from like, uh, you know, multi-celled life in the early seas, you know, how, you know, things started crawling up on land and then, you know, uh, uh, gradually, you know, instead of, um, you know, eggs in the water, like an amphibian, you know, they started laying eggs on land and blah, blah, blah. They began to... Uh, you know, develop limbs and shoulders and necks, uh, and then uh, walk upright, and then they start climbing in the trees, blah, blah, blah. And then at the end, you get a, a T-Rex. You know, I wanted to see for myself what transpired in all those millions of years, you know, sure. kind of like how the whole process went. And that's what these two characters do, is kind of witness that. Is this going to be one contained graphic novel, Star? Is this going to start a whole series? You know, it, it is one cont contained graphic novel. Um, uh, you know, it, it starts, um, what is it, like the Cambrian Seas, and then, um, you know, goes up through the extinction event at the end of the Cretaceous period, and uh, and then we're done. The characters are done. The, the, the walk is, is over. Um, but, you know, I, I'm thinking to myself, like, well, if this does good, you know, I could always do kind of like a, a walk through the land of early mammals or something like that. But, you know, I kind of think the dinosaur thing is, is done as far as that goes. Now, looking at your Kickstarter video, and I was kind of also looking at the Dragonfly video, just to, just doing my research, you know, I noticed uh, there was a character that looks to be reoccurring in both stories, a character, John, the, kind of the turtle humanoid-looking fellow. Is, is he supposed to be the same character? This is an interesting story. Okay, so... You know, we're, uh, I've been working on the Ninja Turtles for a long time, and, uh, you know, the turtles got sold. You know, it was time for us to kind of, like, leave the nest and do our own thing. So, so then I do Dragonfly, and, you know, I was thinking, <laughs> oh, man, how do I tell this whole story? So I was thinking about this character. I wanted him to be this big, tough guy, and I wanted him to kind of, like, I knew the, the setting of the story was going to be this land of dinosaurs. So, you know, I kind of needed him to be kind of like a damage proof you know in a way sure so 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 here's the thing you guys i, I was like oh, i'll just do a turtle guy so i came up with this guy john he's in the story blah 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 and i really like him but the little thing was is that i got a little bit of flack from some of the guys in the studio 
Really? I had that I yeah that I'd had a turtle guy that it, and you know honestly if I was looking at one of the other studio guys and I saw him using a turtle character I might feel the same way but they were like why you know why are you doing this you know I don't know if they thought it was kind of like trying to exploit my association with the turtles or you know whether I was trying to like coattail my project onto the success of the turtles by having a turtle guy in there but you know I got a little bit of crap for it and so, and so I'd actually written more Dragonflies. I, I've written, I've got four more issues of Dragonfly. The second one was done, I think I was working on the third. And as I was like halfway through inking it, I said to myself, you know, I, and I can remember even having a conversation with my sister. She's like, well, why don't you come up with your own character? And I was like, that's it. I'm done. I'm not going to use this character anymore. I'm not going to do any more Dragonflies. Dragonfly is dead. But I think in the meantime, I'd already started started work on Dinosaur Land, and I was like, well, I'm just going to use him for this one more. And yeah, it, he's the same dude. He looks exactly the same. He's, he's, there's no continuity from Dragonfly to Dinosaur Land. There's no other association um, between those two ideas. As a matter of fact, I heard somebody online was talking about Dinosaur Land like it was a sequel to Dragonfly, and it's not. Okay. Total, totally different projects. But gotcha. still, there's this guy I love, this character I love, John, who appears in both. And, and it's funny, uh, you guys, I even, I'm working on another project now. It's more like a regular, a regular comic, uh, kind of a dystopian future, kind of post-apocalyptic thing. And <laughs> there's this guy in it that looks kind of like John once again. I don't know what my problem <laughs> is. I can't seem to shake, I can't, can't seem to shake this guy. He is, however, even though, he looks very similar. He is not a turtle. He is not a turtle. I will not. I will not put another turtle in another project of mine. Oh, oh man! So I, I don't know what it is. I, I just <laughs> are they still giving you flack about it? Um, no, not really. You know, they they probably think stuff, but but you know, it's it, it's not to say you know I have like this kind of bad relationship with guys in the studio where or we're always get, you know giving each other a hard time. But right. but it, it was just you know a few comments were made and and. Um, I, I honestly, not that I ever, I didn't really sit down and talk with Pete about it a little bit, but even he made a comment that, you know, my, my turtle looked just like his, and it seemed like he wasn't wow. very happy about it. So, yeah. Well, yeah. I like the character. I think he looks cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, it's not too late for people to go to Kickstarter and put money toward uh, a walk through dinosaur land, and I think all the tears come with either a PDF or a hard copy of the book. Uh, I'm going to have to throw a little bit of money that way myself. I want to I read this thing. It looks mm -hmm. awesome. Thanks. Thanks. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I think it's up for like two more weeks. So Beautiful. Well, I'll tell you yeah. what we'll do is uh, we'll put a link on our website. We'll help direct people over that way, maybe help get some uh, more donations hit some stretch goals or something i appreciate it cool we appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today jim it's been surreal thank you so much hey my pleasure all right and that's going to do it for today's episode uh that was a lot of fun talking with jim yeah it was hell of a nice guy <laughs> all right uh what do we got on the website there jack uh we got the show recaps videos trailers crispin glover's video cloudy Cloud. oh yeah did you watch that yeah i've watched it i had <laughs> i had to fast forward through the end of the last show because i didn't want to hear it again <laughs> <laughs> i was walking on the ground and i saw oh, yeah <laughs> uh, the Candair Video Game Store, the Comic Book Store, and Video Game Store. 
And in the comic book store, there's links to a lot of the books that we've reviewed and had guests on the show talking about it. And don't forget to find us on Twitter at CannedAirPod and on Instagram at Canned underscore Air. Uh, don't forget to go over to uh, Jim Lawson's website. Uh, it's JimLawsonArt.com and check out uh, some of his works and what he's up to now. And you can also go into Kickstarter. We'll have a link on our website over to his yep. uh, project currently funding a walk through dinosaur land when that's a, when's that over that's february 11th so we still have a couple what, a couple weeks mm-hmm. right, to donate so yeah it's been funded but you can still donate and get a, a cop a copy of it for uh just showing a little support so the more money that gets funded the better stuff you get exactly exactly so let's go for those stretch goals but uh, i think that's going to do it for this week so until next week i am jeremy collie i'm jack doherty and we'll see you next time Another great episode of Canned Air, huh, sure Timmy? Was. Let's go outside. All right. Hey, kids. Oh, my God, who's that? It's Creeper, the worst G.I. Joe character ever made. That's right. I heard you guys were going to go outside. Why don't you stay inside and go to www.cannedairpodcast.com where you can get some scoop on past episodes, see movie trailers, and go to the Canned Air game store, video store, and comic book store. Yay! With cannedairpodcast.com, we'll never have to go outside again. Now we know. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out.